Well, as we've been looking through this series called uh, I Am, we have noticed or we've, we've looked at passages where we've seen that God is our covering, he's our shield, that he says, I am your uh, guide to carry you to the promised land. Uh, I am your almighty, as we saw as Jacob worshiped at Bethel, uh, and we found that God is our vision, he's our deliverer, uh, he says, I am your standard. And then even when we fail, as we looked at last week, he says, I'm still your God. I still love you. Now we move forward in the passage just a few uh, short days to where the people of God have traveled uh, from Mount Sinai, once they got kind of things straightened out with, with, with the Lord, and they're at a place that's called Kadesh Barnea. Uh, Kadesh Barnea still exists today. It's an oasis about halfway between the Mediterranean Sea and the upper reaches of the Red Sea uh, at the southeast part of uh, Israel today. And it's here that God says, it's time. It's time to go. It's time to go into the promised land. The brand's ready. You're ready. Let's go. So how do you think God's people responded? Well, let's take a look. Look what he says, verse 20. God says, and I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. He says, go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. Do not be, do not fear or be dismayed. Now Moses is telling them what God has for them. He says, it's time to go into the promised land. We've come out of Egypt. We've gone through all this stuff. We were slaves for a season. We've been delivered by God. We've been brought across the Red Sea. The sea closed in on the enemy. God has brought us to the mountain. He's given us the commands. He said, go. We weren't so faithful at first, but we said, okay, we prepared. Let's go. And they get to the land. It's time to possess it. And they've arrived at this oasis waiting to go. They're on the border of the hill country of the Amorites. And you're going, who are the Amorites? Amorites are the descendants of Noah's son, Ham. They're believed to be, some of them, to be giants. In fact, they're called the Rephaim uh, in one of the passages we might look at uh, in this morning. And they bordered this area. But the Lord has said, this land is yours from here all the way up to Mount Hermon in the north. It's time to go. It's time to enter the land. As I might say, it's time to sick them. Some might say, hook them or gig them or whatever that is. For those of you who like that particular school, I've never figured that out. But anyway, but they're standing on what should have been the beginning of a great conquest of the promised land. They're on the verge of getting what God has given them. He gives them the green light to go. What they have to do at this point is what? Set aside their fears and say, okay, God's got it. To take the steps. You can't stay here. You can't sit still and move forward at the same time. And they have to go do what God has for them. And God has told them the time is when? Now. Let's go. Let's do it. So how did God's people respond? Just like we do often, don't we? Look at verse 22. Then all of you came near me, Moses is relating, and said, let us send men before us that we may explore the land for us. They may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up into the cities into which we shall come. Now, some of you are going, that sounds like a pretty good plan. Guess what Moses' response was? He said, this thing seemed good to me. 
And I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol. There's an Eshkol National Park in Israel still today, so you can travel to this place. And they spied it out, and they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord has given to us. So, you know, follow the story so far. God has said, go get it. Go get it. They say, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's send a spy party up there. Let's go do some looking around. Let's see what it looks like. So let's see what the, the travel lanes are like. Let's see what the forces are like. Let's see where the, 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 the fortresses may lie, where the troops may be. Let's, look, let it all, let's check it all out. So with the green light from heaven glowing brightly and the time at hand to go possess it, the people of God say, hey, Moses, let's form a, a group of men to go check it out. Let's go see what it looks like. Now, you're going to say, and I say, I think to myself, that seems like a pretty logical step. You need to know where you're going, what you're going to do, what you're going to face, what's going to happen, what's going to be in front of us. So they bring this idea together and bring the folks together and say, let's go see what it is. Let's do just a recon. Let's take a look. Now, I suspect this decision, though very logical from a human standpoint, is the beginning point for what gets them off track. They said, let's, let's do it this way. But notice, Moses goes along with it. He says, okay, sounds like a deal to me. Let's go. Let's send some spies. So they select one from each tribe. They create a 12-man recon team that crosses the land. What they find is simply amazing. There's other passages that go into much more detail, but what they find is a land brimming with fruit, a place flowing with milk and honey. A place that is a beautiful land, a place where they're going to be able to thrive once they get there. They're going to be able to do great things. But don't miss the reality that instead of walking by faith, what have they done? They've sent spies. They want to know the details of what's going to happen. They go, God, we hear you're sending us, but we can we have some more detail? We want to go check it out. We want to look it for ourselves. We want to see what's over there. And God has given them this, his direction, but they say, well, we want to do this first. Now, look what happens, though. Look at verse 26. Moses says, but yet you would not go up. You would not go up, but rebelled against the commands of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents because the Lord hated us. He's brought us up, us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we, where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of the Anakim there. You're going what happened? How do we get so up? God had said in the beginning, what? Sick them. Go get it. Go do it. Now the people are looking at it going, well, we need to check it out first. We need to send our team up there first. We need to get our eyes on it first. We need to see what we can do, how we're going to do it, how we're going to handle it. How we're... I hope y'all don't think I'm making too much of this because I want you to see this is so often, listen, what we do. We'll hear God speak, and we'll, he'll say, well, he's never told me to go take a promised land. 
probably not, but he's definitely, if you're a child of God, he has spoken to you at some point, at some time, in some way to go be a part of something in the kingdom of God. And you look at it and go, oh, well, I got to check this out myself. And what they do is they choose to rebel against the command of God. And you're going, but, but have you seen the obstacles? Have you seen the size of those guys? Have you seen their troops? Have you seen all the stuff that's up there? Have you seen the massive walls of those cities? Have you seen what's over there? But God said what? Go. And here they sit. See, they were firmly convinced there was no way they could do what was needing to be done. Guess what? They couldn't. They couldn't. They couldn't do it. He listened as the spies told them what they would face if they go there. They're taller than us. The cities are massive. Do you know they got the sons of Anakim in there? Now you're going, what's a son of Anakim? These are the group of people who are massively tall. It's possible that Goliath was part of that group. Uh, the descendants of his descendants were, were produced Goliath later in time. We're talking guys six, seven, eight, nine feet tall when most folks are five and six feet tall at the most. Have you seen that guy? Have you seen what those people look like? And it was so bad. Put that verse back up there for me. It was so bad. That they, they say this, but the Lord hates us so much that he brought us out of Egypt to give us to the hands of the Amorites so they could kill us. Is that the God you know? Is that the God of the Bible? Is that the God who loves us? Not at all, is it? But they see that. And when they see it, it becomes true to them. I suspect living lives as slaves in Egypt have damaged their collective self-worth. They're still learning to trust the God who has delivered them. You know, we think about negativity in our day today, there's you know, a lot of people say, well, the press is all negative. You know what? I got to tell you, people have always been negative. There's always people that can find what's wrong, what's bad, what's going to go wrong. Here's the thing. Here's the negativity is negatively infectious and it affects us. We have to choose how to live. But Moses said, hold up, hold up, hold up. Wait, 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 wait. Look at verse 29. Then Moses said to you, don't be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord, your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before the eye, for, their, for your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord, your God, carried you as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. You're going, Moses is going, hey, has God changed? Has God changed? He's the same God that brought us out of Egypt. He's the same God that brought all those plagues upon the nation when they wouldn't let us go. He's the same God who brought us to the water. He's the same God who parted the waters. He's the same God who closed the waters on the enemy that tried to chase us. He's the same God that met with us at the mountain. He's the same God that's given us the Ten Commands. He's the same God that's leading us. This is not the God who is leading us you're talking about. So Moses stresses God's goodness. He says, look, you're living in dread. You're living in fear. He, he, he says, you know, we, we, we love to build up the worst case scenarios in our minds, don't we? Guilty. You think you're bad. I'm worse. I promise. My mind starts running. I can think of everything that can go wrong and then everything that can go wrong with what goes wrong to make it wrong and make it wrong or wrong. 
Y'all with me? I'm good at that. I don't know if that's a spiritual gift, but I've got it. But here's the guy who says, God has said to them, go. He's the one who has promised them the land. He is the one who is not a God made with hands. They didn't create out of gold items. This is the one true God. And he's the one who's been fighting for them. He's the one who's going to fight for them. He's the one that's led them out of slavery. He's the one that's brought them all through this way. And they needed to remember that God was working for their good. How quickly we forget. God didn't want to destroy. He's not going to leave them to wander. He's not going to ignore them. He has plans for the good to bring out great things. And yet, the people are indeed, as he said over and over last week, a stiff-necked people. We get our own thinking. So the people choose to settle. You ever settled? In spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek out, seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night, cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. After Moses is done and said everything he felt led to say to the people, the people still had a decision to make. The people still had to decide, are we going to go? Would they walk by faith? Would they rely on sight? Are they going to be faithful to God or are they going to be unfaithful to God? There's really only two ways to cut the question, and that's what it is. And I wish the story from here was this. The people of God repented and said, we're going to be faithful to God. We're going to go. He says we can go. He's going to lead us. He's going to be fighting for us. He's going to take care of us. We'll be good. If you've read the story, you know that's not what happens. What happens? In spite of Moses' encouragement, in spite of everything he tried to say, they said, Mm-mm. ain't going to happen. Because for them, sight was more powerful than faith. They settled in their minds and hearts. This is what we can see. This is what feels right to us. And they forgot the reality that the hearts of people are inherently wicked and drawn away from the things of God. That when we rely on ourselves, we're going to always get in ourselves in trouble. But when we listen to God and let him lead, that's when it happens. But this was a majority decision. Did you notice that? If you've read the story about the spies coming back, the spies come back and give a report of 10 to 2. Ten to two against, by the way. That's a super majority. I don't care how you cut it. But it was a super majority that was wrong. They chose not to listen to God. And they put their wisdom above God's wisdom. I'd phrase it this way. They chose to settle what they could do instead of aspiring for what God had for them. How often do we do the same? We settle. Well, that's the end of the story, right? Oh, no. Who gets the last word? God does. Look at verse 34. And the Lord heard your words and was angered. And he swore. Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he was wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry, Moses recounts, on your, on account, on your account, and said, you also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, 
who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said will become a prey, and your children who today, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey to the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. This is one of the saddest passages in the Old Testament to me. Because a group of people whom God has somehow chosen, has selected to be his people, he has brought them to this place. He's got them ready to go. They're ready to go to the promised land. They're about to get what they have been told they would have. And they say, not us. Now, you're not going to see an explicit I am in this message, even though it's part of the series. What we find here is that God steps in and says, I am your judge. I get the final say. And he lists three outcomes or judgments from their decision. First, he says, nobody from this generation, this evil generation, a 40-year span, would enter the promised land. You're going, but this was one act of faithlessness. Faithlessness has significant consequences. Some of you are thinking with your modern minds going, this seems overly harsh. I mean, God ought to have a little more compassion for these people, have a little more. God wanted to destroy them after they started dancing around the golden calf. Y'all remember that little episode a few weeks back? And he relented. Doesn't God want his people to be happy? Absolutely. Their happiness is going to be found where? In their faithfulness, not in their faithlessness. Yet they've chosen to do that. We need to understand rebellion against God has consequences. Second, Moses himself would not be allowed to enter the land. You're going, wait a second. Here's the guy that God chose to lead them out and to carry them. Yeah, he did. But guess what? He made a mistake. It seems like Moses was just being a good leader. Give people an input. Give them a shot. Give them a thought here. Let them be a part of it. The problem was God had said, Go. Moses should have said, we're going. We're not, going to co- we're not going to investigate. We're not going to discuss. We're not going to have a meeting about it. We're going to go and do what God's called us to do. And then third, those children with no knowledge of good or evil would be the ones to go possess the land. And you're going, that seems harsh. You, you realize little Timmy, six-year-old, now has to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. There's a consequence to that, isn't it? Sometimes our consequences impact the next generation. That group missed out on 40 years of living in the promised land. Oh, and by the way, they have to fight the battle when they get there. Faithlessness has consequences in life. Now, what do we do with this? Three quick thoughts and we'll be wrapping up. Number one, when God calls, this is really deep, you ready? Go. We're so smart, we're so rational, we want to think it all through, we want to have conversations, discussions. Sometimes the right answer when God says go is just too simple, to go. I think this is a a fundamental mindset for us as followers of God. I can't even begin to explain why God chose Abraham and his descendants to be his chosen people. I don't... I look at it and go, well, what about the other people in the same village? Why didn't he choose them? Why did he choose Abraham? 
I don't know the answer to that question. Why did he choose you to follow Jesus and your neighbors reject him? I don't know the answer to that question. I wish I did. But God in his infinite wisdom and divine knowledge calls you and me to participate in his kingdom. He says, I want you to be a part of it. And you're thinking to yourself, but have you, God, do you know my failings? Do you know my mistakes? Do you know my problems? Do you know my mess? Do you know my history? Do you know what I've done, what I haven't done? Have you been? Do you, God, do you know what I'm like? And his answer is what? Absolutely. And I love you. I want you to be a part of it. So Go. Go get it. Go get the promised land. But their response, including Moses, was to do all this other stuff. They were at the door of the promised land. They were on the border of the promised land, about to walk in, and instead they form a study committee. I think there's a lesson we need to glean from this action. It's simply this. When God calls, go. What they did was refuse to seize on God's plan. I, I, Proverbs 21, excuse me, 27 says this. It's one that I, I learned years and years ago. It says this, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. God, we're going to check it all out. We'll talk about it. We'll get back with you, God, in about a month and let you know what we're going to do. Wow. You going to be alive next month? Well, of course I am. No, you don't know that. The time to be faithful to God is when? Right now. Right now. Second thought. Attitudes are infectious. I started to write that this this way. Negative attitudes are infectious. But you know what? Negative inf- attitudes are infectious, but so are positive attitudes. Good thoughts are infectious just like bad thoughts. I used to work for a guy years ago. I think I've told you all this story once before. He was as pagan as pagan comes. I'm just telling you, he was, he was, I mean, he didn't know Jesus from, you know, anybody. But he had a saying that I just loved. I picked it up. You may have heard me say it sometime. What's the good word? You know, if we go around looking for good, we're more likely to find good. But if we go around looking for bad, we're more likely to find Bad. I can guarantee you, I can go around any day I want and find all kinds of bad things in life. Can't you? I can find this bad and that bad and that bad. All I got to do is turn on the news. I don't care if it's blue, red, or pink news. It doesn't matter. It's all going to have something negative in it, right? Because in press, negativity sells. If they want to give you a good story, you go, um, oh, I don't know where you're at. Tell me about what happened with this politician or with this person or this person. I want to hear the good, juicy gossip, right? The negative. those in our circle are negative, we are more likely to be negative. If those in our circles are positive, we are more likely to find positivity. Proverbs, again, says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. You know, there's an old proverb, you already know it, uh, birds of a feather flock together. I think that's not quite a good way to say that. It kind of leaves you with the idea that you don't have a choice. You know, well, if I'm a negative person, I have to hang out with negative people. If I'm a positive person, I have to hang out with positive people. You know what? You and I get to choose how we live our life. There's no button on your back that says negative, positive. 
we, we had a kid, I won't name which one of the three, that had a voice that could just wake the dead. And, and I asked this child one day, I said, can you take that knob in your head and turn it down just a little bit? And the answer was, well, the knob's broken and it's not there anymore. I think some of us live our lives with an attitude that says, well, I have to be negative because that's who I am. No, you don't. You can look for the good in life. You can good find the positive in life. You can see the glasses half full or half empty. Which one is it? And when we stop to realize, based on our relationship with God, we have been immensely blessed. We should have all kinds of good in our lives. You have that choice. I have that choice. The people of Israel struggled with self-esteem. I guarantee you. They lived in slavery for several generations at least. But they could have chosen the right path, just like we can. We can choose the right path. And then third, telling God no has outcomes. When I was in high school, um, there were about four guys, myself included, who believed that God had called us to ministry. So we were all nuts. I'm just going to tell you that we thought that, okay? You with me? That's just anybody who believes God wants to call them to serve in local church has got to be a little off somewhere, all right? But there were four of us. There was myself and a guy in my class, and there were two guys in the class behind us. So they were all, we were all about the same age. And, and this is not a brag because it's only by the grace of God. But out of the four of us, only one of us serves in vocational ministry to this day. And I've had conversations with, with those guys over the years. And there have been consequences in their lives because they came to a place, they said, God, I can't do that. Can I tell you something? There are days I want to say, God, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but here's God's people. They, they're at the precipice of great victory. The promise is right ahead. They're about to enter their, their rest. And what do they say to God? Mm-mm, not going to do it. Friends, there is always a consequence when we tell the Lord of all creation, no, I'm not going to do it. There's going to be consequences to that. Even when, you know, if you read on the story, and we don't have time to look at that, but if you read on the story, you find that they said, oh, wait a second, we were just kidding. We want to go in the promised land anyway. And they go and try it. You remember what happened? They got their tails handed to them, as I guess how they would say it today. They got whooped. Whooped. Is that the right way? A bunch of them died. Why? They missed God's timing. His timing was now, and they put it off. One more word from Proverbs we need to see. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. My prayer for you as your pastor is this, that we will be, that I will be prudent people who lean hard into the wisdom of God for our lives, that we will be people who... who, understand that God's goodness and his mercy is available to us. He's ready to work in our lives. He's ready to lead us through things to make a difference in the lives of people around us, to show them God's grace, to show them God's love, to speak the truth into their lives. And it begins as we focus on God. As we get to know him better, as we walk with him. If I'd ask you this morning, do you know him? 
Some of you go, yeah, I know Jesus. I know who he is. I just say, do you know who he is? Do you know him? You with me? I, I know a whole lot of people are, but I don't know a lot of people. There's a difference. And it starts as we lean into the Lord of all creation and say, God, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to be my master. I want you to lead my life. We come to that point where we surrender to him. For some of you, that's probably what you need to do. But for most of us, it's not that. We've got that. We remember that moment. We said, God, I trusted you at this age. I remember being at this church. I remember being in this camp or this place. You got that. All the people who were standing at Kaddish Barnea had been chosen by God, called by God, been faithful by God to God and gotten to that place. And what happened? They still didn't do it. So we, we who know the Lord, we can still get to a place where we say, God, I'm not going to do it. We want to be people, don't we, that say, I'm going to be faithful. I want to hear what God has for me. And when he says go, I'm going to go. So for many of us, the prayer is not Jesus save me, but the prayer is this, God, help me to stay sensitive to you, to hear your voice, to listen to your leading, and to go when you say go.